Welcome to the Crater Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss all the JavaScript news that's happened on Crater.io this week. This episode is for Friday, July 29th, 2016. This episode is brought to you by Modulus.io. They're an easy way to deploy your application no matter the language or framework that you're using. They are great for deploying JavaScript applications using technologies such as Node.js, Meteor.js, Feathers.js, and many other frameworks. They recently updated their build process for Meteor to include uploading the code to a build server. They use a Docker component to create the build and output a consistent application that gets sent to the servos making it more reliable and easier for you to deploy your Meteor application. Check them out, modulus.io. DigitalOcean is the best place to get your Meteor application off the ground quickly and the easiest to scale when you find success. I host crater.io there, so I understand DigitalOcean. Start with a pre-configured one-click launch, such as Node.js, to get it up and running in 55 seconds or build the exact infrastructure you need with root access to servers running 100% SSD and state-of-the-art data centers around the world. DigitalOcean is the fastest-growing cloud infrastructure provider because it's built for developers and laser-focused on its mission to create simple and elegant solutions for developers and teams. Use the promo code CRATER10 on the billing page when you sign up for $10 to get started. Welcome, Crater fans. I'm your host, Josh Owens, along with my co-host. Abby Iyer. Hey, Abby. How's it going? Pretty good, man. Um, some crazy stuff happened to me over the weekend. I uh, came back out to the desert, so I have my new change of scenery. <laughs> uh, turns out my girlfriend got a call on Friday that she got into medical school. So oh, nice. we had to pack her stuff up, and uh, she actually left today for school on Wednesday. So it was that short of a time period that everything had to get ready and stuff. So, so it's a little mini vacation, but it's not a fun vacation, that's for sure. <laughs> nice. I spent some time playing with ESLint. Do you guys use ESLint? Yeah, very, very heavily. Yeah, I feel I feel a blog post coming, or actually, probably it'll be a code kata. I think. I think if you're not using ESLint right now, you should. It's yeah. such a good way to keep everything in style the impetus for me to start playing around with it was like, I'm on a project that is using ESLint, but it wasn't specified everywhere in the package.json. And so like, it turns out that you can have a globally installed ESLint or a locally installed ESLint. And like, that wasn't super awesome. And so I was trying to rectify all that. And then it turns out like, it's just kind of slow. So when I was saving a file in Vim, it would take a minute to pop. And so I ended up finding this package called ESLint underscore D and it basically runs an ESLint and it'll determine whether you have a local version installed or not and then use the global if it needs to. So that's kind of nice because then I can like per, per project, you can have that, you know, in your package.json dev dependencies and it'll pick it up and everything will be installed and run correctly. And then after the first time you save and it runs the ESLint, after that, it's like super fast. Yeah, I didn't even know about that. We, yeah, we ran into those problems a lot when we upgraded ESLint versions 
And some people running ESLint locally, like by themselves, you know, typing ESLint dot or whatever, yeah. they, were, they would be getting like different error messages based on the version because, you know, syntax changes quite a bit. Yeah. So, yeah, it would be nice to have uh, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's easy to use. Like, so if you use Atom, uh, ESLint D is not a big deal for most people, I think. Yeah. They've already got a speedy setup, but for them... This is definitely helpful. And then on top of that, like, you know, when you want to use the Airbnb uh, standard or something like that, it's like you got to install like, I think there's like eight dependencies or something that you have to get to go along with it. And like to use that as a globally done thing, you, you have to like install all those globally as well, which is just, it's just terrible. Like I'd rather just specify that stuff in the package JSON and not worry about mucking up all this global stuff and yeah it gets a little hairier when you're when you're trying to do like complicated eslint stuff like we just implemented eslint import uh styling so making sure that all our imports are at the top of the file and there's space between them and then they resolve to correct places and stuff like that yeah. uh, and we also do eslint for flow types so flow type checker to make sure all the syntax is right for your annotations and stuff. Yeah. Overall, it's great. Uh, I remember before ESLint, I would have to like go and bug people during pull requests to add commas and do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And now the, the tooling just does it for you. So that's good. It's, yeah. it's easier to command people via tooling than uh, just talking to them. So this week we are talking about React 15.3. Going to talk about CPU gate, <laughs> aka Meteor one point four, coming out. Uh, Just fourteen got launched, and someone dropped the CSS and the JavaScript, and that's a problem. <laughs> great, let's do it. Yeah. All right. So yeah, first up, like we were just talking about this before the show too. Like, I haven't used Pure Component yet, but that's the big thing for React 15.3, came out actually on the 29th. They've added a new class, React.PureComponent, that replaces the the React add-on pure render mixin. I came in at a time where, you know, mixins were kind of dying off. I haven't gotten to the point where I've had to create a pure component. And you're saying, like, you guys don't even use pure components, right? No. Yeah. But it's, it's the idea that, like using a pure component means that the it'll only re-render when the props change. I think for the most part, like I trend towards maybe a stateless functional component for that kind of stuff myself. But I think the, the pure component can take you a little bit further than that, I guess. What pure render mixin did and what pure component does, is it, it implements like should component update under the hood. It just does it for you instead of you having to do it all the time. The only thing though is... That's a, that's a huge burden on your application. If you have a huge component tree and you're doing like a shift component update at the top level of the tree, you can get yourself into a lot of weird issues where they don't re... Like the components in that tree don't update because the top level component has not uh, allowed for updating. So my recommendation is, one, you only need it when you need it. You don't need to do it every single time. If you... Think of your app in stateless functional components. You can make smaller component trees. And then you can maybe do like a pure render, like higher order component or something if you want, you know? 
you know, use it when you need it. That's what we do. We haven't run into any problems. I, I remember the first time I actually used should component update in pure render mixin was I had a, I had to do an auto save component where the top level component is constantly auto saving, calling some method. And after it calls the method, it changes the state to say like, I'm not going to call this method until the user interacts with the screen again. Mm. What that was doing was it was causing a huge amount of updates down downstream because it's like the top level container and I have a whole page inside of it. Mm-hmm. So we had to do some shit component update trickery there to make sure that it only changed when the prop changed, not when state changes. Yeah. So that was, you know, so you only need it when you need it. Yeah. Yeah, there's some other interesting stuff in here too. Uh, they've added some new warnings and improved some warnings. So it looks like they're kind of gearing up for version 16 to come out at some point and likely you know, those warnings are in there to kind of hopefully get you to fix things before then. And, you know, I didn't even realize like I was looking through this change log. They have the React Perf add-on. They fixed an issue with warnings, but I... I'd never actually used the React Perf add-on. Had never looked at it, and this is actually pretty awesome looking. Like I would recommend reading change logs. You can learn things for sure. But this thing's awesome because you can install it and call Perf Start and Perf Stop, and then like look at the measurements in there. And then we're not talking like like fl- flame graphs are interesting and useful for certain things, but this is like this is showing you. Uh, how many instances of things and like how long it took to render it and that kind of thing. So, yeah, if you want to get into the nitty gritty of your, your render performance and like, that's the, that's the best place to do it. Yeah. I wish something like this was around when we were dealing with the problems with crater. Like it's, there's still like major rendering problems, which is something like Sasha and I are going to be working on this week is uh, getting the react version of a theme up for a crater. So hopefully we can right. move right. Yeah. The one thing I'll say about react in general is they're really good about the warnings. Like every release, there's always some new warning because they are themselves in the process of switching their code base over into ES six and mm-hmm. they're using code mods to, to actually do sweeping changes and they make mistakes too. And it's, you know, it's funny that like, they're making drastic changes, yet they're keeping things somewhat backwards compatible in a sense, you know, and uh, there's, everything's just a warning, you know, like if you're doing something wrong, warning, you're using something deprecated, warning, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the way it should be, right? Like coming from, this was, this was the thing that just happened, right? Like you would install a new version and like it will warn you and you, the warning would let you know, like, in the next major release, this feature is going to be gone. It's deprecated, right? Like don't use it, change it, use the new syntax, that kind of thing. And like that, that's the one thing I feel like for me and meteor land has been missing. And I, I, I would agree with you. Like react has done an amazing job at that kind of thing. So yeah. to them, Definitely. this is, you know, now we're getting into meteor they strive really, really hard to make sure they have backwards compatibility. Um, and they don't really like deprecate a whole lot of things. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about 1.4 hobby. <laughs> okay. Last week, meteor 1.4 was uh, released and we call it CPU gate. We'll get into that in a second, but 1.4 is actually a pretty interesting release for um, people who have been using 
Meteor for a while. For the longest time, Meteor was on using like uh, Node version 0.10. whatever. And that is really old, really old. Some NPM packages don't even support that version anymore. Um, if you're doing some higher computational stuff with those NPM modules, they won't even support 0.10. Probably the minimum is like maybe Node 4 or even Node 6 for some packages. Um, so Meteor upgraded the, the Node version to Node 4.47, which is a long-running stable version. Um, I was kind of hoping for Node 6 just to you know, keep it on the edge, but it's all cool. Node 4 is great. And then they also updated uh, the Mongo driver for 3.2.6. And that's also good because our, actually, our Mongo driver in Meteor today is actually super outdated. Oh, yeah, really it's old. really old. And like yeah. the shipped version of Mongo that comes when you install Meteor, like the binary version, because they use their own yeah. install when you run it on your dev machine was 2.6 and now they ship with 3.2 and by default they're creating uh, on your local machine wire tiger databases now rather than the old one so and if you want to take advantage of that you can do a meteor reset it'll clear out your db and set it for wire tiger and then with wire tiger like most of the database providers provide that wire tiger support for 3.2 uh, i believe compose does for 3.2 but not 3.0 Maybe Mongo Labs and stuff do so. I'm sure anyone hosting their database right now will be fine. Um, you will, you should expect a performance boost with you know Mongo 3.2. There's a lot of cool things in Mongo 3.2 like uh, document validation. That's like you know gets rid of simple schema essentially uh, for using Mongo. So that's cool. The cool thing about the the Mongo upgrade is a, it was just a huge effort from an open source contributor. It was just between jobs and. He just decided to work on this. So I think his name is Fabs. Fabs is his name uh, on GitHub. Fabrico de Souza Nascimento. He's from uh, Brazil, actually. And it's cool. So he, he did this whole, this whole effort, and that's great. Another really core part of this release was unpinning the package versions. Mm-hmm. So like in Meteor 1.3 and bef- you know, before... Like Blaze, for instance, would be at you know a pinned version of like two point one or something. And now that they unpin these versions, they can start releasing new versions of Blaze or accounts or whatever without having to push a Meteor one point four point one or whatever like that. Like in one point three, there was a lot of problems with like compiling Node modules that were like actual C plus plus modules and. For us, they pushed a fix called like 1.3.2.5-workpop. They did that. And then they got into like the 1.3.25 main release. And then what, what all those, those batch releases had to be done just so, you know, just so they could uh, fix these small, small issues in maybe the ECMAScript package or the Promise package, you know, Meteor Promise and stuff like that, whatever. And it's great to know that now they can start moving like incremental parts independently without having to affect the full release, you know? So that's, that's cool. Um, so let's get into why it's called CPU gate. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've complained about this many times and they're not doing anything to fix it. I think they're just fighting me, I guess, but the CPU, when you're running Meteor 1.4, your CPU spikes at hundred percent on your computer. Like literally, like it is, it is the reload times are even slower for big apps your computer is about to take off 
essentially. Like, the fan is running like a beast, and it's about to take off to outer space. Like, that's how much force it's trying to use. Um, and it's actually, like, I think it's causing a bunch of CPU spikes on actual production servers. Um, I'm not sure the story about that. That's what I was hearing from other people's horror stories that, you know, one, like, they can't even get their, their app running via, you know, something's changed about, uh, like, how they load in the lib folder, which I, I need to verify if that's true or not. So, what did you hear about CPU gate? The thing I saw was that Meteor 1.4, like, the tool downloaded into the background, and yeah. it would update an auto symlink, and so you would run the Meteor 1.4 tooling even though you're using meteor 1.3 and apparently had something to yeah. do with the way like it would run in node 4 land but then try to springboard into its own like 0.10 version if you're running an older version and so something yeah. would happen before that springboard would finish and it would cause the cpu to spike up and just stay there yeah. And so they have fixed it. Yeah, 1.4.0.1. Which, I mean, it's to be expected. This, this crap always happens when a new release comes out. This is not specific to Meteor. This is not specific. This is like an open source thing. Yeah, this happens hey, every release. Like, honestly, I'm surprised we haven't seen 15.3.1. Like, maybe their release process has just been that good with <laughs> React. Yeah. I don't know. But... It's just to be expected, in my opinion. And it looks like there were some people hard at work on it and trying to figure it out, and the community rallied around pretty well, and they were able to, to, to kind of figure that out. But, you know, and maybe this is um, a slight annoyance that people didn't realize was happening, is, like, it's auto-updating in the background. Like, yeah. I'm fine if the tool tells me, hey, there's a new version available, but I don't necessarily like that it's auto downloading and updating the tool without my knowledge so yeah on on our end when we had these like build tool problems we were just looking forward to the build tool upgrading without us having to upgrade our media version because for us that goes through a huge cycle of review and work that goes into upgrading media because we have to pretty much test a bunch of stuff when we got the new build tool that means our because we were compiling like Google Cloud, the package, we were compiling it on every change just because there was a bug in the compilation. Project. So it was even slower, which is probably why I was cranky a couple weeks ago. So every time I was compiling Google Cloud. So when 1.3.5's tool came out, we didn't have to do that anymore. And it was great. But we were still at 1.3.2.1. It's getting annoying saying these numbers. But, um, <laughs> and then now with 1.4, where we were hitting those CPU increases and need to, to diagnose that but at the end of the day this this release is good for the core of meteor but nothing has changed about product development experience and that's mainly like the build tool you know just the build yeah, tool I, I, else has changed, though? I almost worry at this point like i'm pretty sure i've seen problems with deploying with meteor up with 1.4 yeah that's what i've been reading and it looks like this is bringing the question like you know Meteor Up hasn't been, doesn't look like it's being actively developed at this point. And we're in this state where you've got, you've got MUP, you've got MUP X, and you've got like MUP 2, which looks interesting, but it's not fully baked yet either. So like, 
it begs the question of like, is Kadira going to keep doing this or are they not? Like we're hearing now that maybe they're using galaxy. So why would they support this? So, you know, it may, yeah. may take a community effort to get some of this stuff fixed and working. You know, I'll say like, as far as like, I, I anticipated this being a terrible upgrade. I installed it on my client project and it just worked. Like I didn't, you know, there was, there was nothing there that I had to do, which was maybe a little surprising to me, right? Because the, the 1.3 upgrade, well, you install it and it just worked switching to the import syntax and that kind of stuff was a little painful, but now like 1.4 required no effort on my part for this, this client app so far. I'm almost done with spacedojo.com, like migrating right. it to React and Meteor. I was working on it this weekend. Once I get it done and deployed, I'm going to play with 1.4 as well and see how that goes. Um, yeah. My hope is that's simple, easy too. So I don't know. I'm, you know, the biggest thing for me is I'm excited for the query planner. With Mongo 2.6 on your local dev machine, you didn't get the query planner. But now that we, we ship with 3.2, as of Mongo 3, they added the query planner. So when you do like an explain on one of your queries, you get that, the query planner output, which is pretty awesome. Like it's, it's, it's big and complex, but it gives you a ton of information about how your query is being put together and executed and what indexes it's using and that kind of stuff. So. I'm super, super excited about that. Yeah. Oh, one thing to note, though. So with 1.5 on the on the horizon, that's going to be dedicated to Apollo mm-hmm. and making that integration as smooth as possible. So yes. that's what's next for Meteor 1.5. I'm excited to see what happens, and I hope we don't get, like... The biggest question to me is, what does authentication look like in 1.5? Yeah you know, and with, with Apollo. And I hope it's not some lame answer, like just run Mongo separately outside of Apollo and everything will be fine. <laughs> yeah. Cause that, that would be terrible. So I hope they do something a little better than that. And I know they've got Ben on it and he's a smart guy. So yeah, he'll get it done. Hopefully he, he does something good there. Cool. Yeah. So just 14, I found this interesting. They added, React tree snapshot testing. And so I hadn't actually, like I've heard of snapshot testing, but not quite in this way. Like I've heard of taking an actual screenshot and comparing yeah. and diffing the two. But this, this actually will take a React component and you can take a snapshot of it using this React test renderer. And then you can use Jest to kind of compare them and it will basically spit out a snapshot file. This looks really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, You know, their example is like just creating a link that links to Facebook and it's just got this snapshot file that shows an actual link with a class name, href, on mouse enter, on mouse leave, and some text. And like they can then do a comparison of that with, you know, the next time they run the test and they, they, change the link to point to messenger and change the word to messenger. And like it fails the test and shows you the diff. And that's kind of interesting because I think you can, you can basically run your test and say, this is what I expect things to look like. Right. I'm at a known good point. And then next time you run the test, if someone 
worked that and you feel that that's an error, like it'll throw an error in the test and someone will take a look at it and hopefully try to figure out like why there's a difference here. Yeah. I'm glad they're investing more in Jest. For a while, people didn't like Jest because it was super slow. That's because they use Jasmine and like it's just really slow for their tests to run. I wonder how fast the snapshot tests run. Because if they're super slow, that's a buzzkill. Yeah. That's why everyone likes Enzyme. But I like Jest just because it's like a homegrown tool that will always be supported and has the, probably the most product know-how because like Ben Alpert is working on Jest. So. Well, yeah, and that's the interesting thing, right? Like we couldn't have had this prior to React 15.3. If you look yeah. at the changelog notes there, they added a new React test render, which is uh, what this is, this is all completely based on. Is yeah. It's rendering out this output now. So yeah, I bet you they did this because Enzyme was getting a lot of like heat, you know, like picking up pace. That Jest was just needed some competitive advantage. Like Jest is pretty cool. I really liked it when I first used it. I like Enzyme too. They're they're both accomplishing the same thing in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but snapshot testing is amazing because people have an assumption of what their their DOM looks like, even like outside of components, right? And you can make simple mistakes really easily. Um, that that can now be actual tested, not just code. It's like actual elements, and you know what they are. And you know what the the diff or the actual piece. So that's cool. That's really cool. I could see this being really interesting for like, especially with Crater like pulling in versions of Telescope and like m- wanting to make sure that certain elements stay on the page for my Crater theme or something like that. You know, like they cool. they do say fast iteration speed. I'm, I'm kind of curious. We should, should play around with that and see if it's slow like you think. Yeah, I hope so, it's fast. Tell us about CSS and JavaScript and why it's terrible. terrible. <laughs> like CSS and JavaScript has blown up to be like the new tabs versus spaces debate. <laughs> um, you got people on one side that are all about CSS and they are against CSS and JavaScript completely. And you have the other side who's hardcore CSS and JavaScript and says that you can do everything in it. And then I'm in like this middle camp where you can, you try to use CSS and JS as much as you can. And the things that you can't do in that, you rely on CSS. But there are really two camps just going at each other. Um, if you look on Twitter, if you look on anything that Ken C. Dodds posts or Max Sieber posts about this, or even um, Jed Watson, oh, these are all React people. Uh, you'll see that there's just huge tweet threads of just flame wars on why you should not use CSS and JavaScript or why you should or why CSS sucks. And so this post is just going through the frustration um, this guy named Jimmy had um, about you know his CSS and JS problems. And he was trying to do something very simple like making a button and making button groups and toolbars and all that stuff, just like bootstrap. And in CSS and JS, there's no such thing as descendant selectors. So you, it's, it's really hard to make, you know, like tree-like CSS structures. And that's because CSS and JavaScript is actually component-based. It's similar to BEM, but you should be making components per style. And his argument is there are times where you need to have some type of parent selector to make styles happen on components and stuff like that. I totally get that. And you should just use CSS for that. You know, like I totally get it. Just because you're using CSS and JavaScript doesn't mean you have to use it all the time. 
There, but there are camps that say that you can. So my recommendation this is where I'm coming from. Like CSS and JavaScript is going to be the future of web development because CSS is not maintainable, right? The only person who can maintain a CSS code base is one person. The minute you add another person in or another person, then any convention you have goes out the door. You can try to have linters. You can try to have CSS lint. And then the minute you add a pre-compiler in there, so like less or SAS, then the style goes out the door again. And then everyone has different opinions on less and SAS. Like literally like there's, there's different, there's different like document structure on how you do this class name. There are people who say you can only use IDs, which they're crazy. You can only use class names, no actual selectors on elements. So it's a huge, it's a very opinionated landscape. So with CSS and JavaScript, it doesn't really matter. It's just based on the component itself. It's contained, it's self-contained. Um, it's maintainable because it's JavaScript. You can extend and import and play around with it. You can actually run functions on that. You know, imagine taking a style and based on the the status of some record, you change the style into something else, right? How do you do that in CSS today, right? You can't. There's no dynamic computation based on the server in CSS by itself, right? On the flip side, how do you do pseudo selectors? Well. Some libraries have implemented that. You know, how do you do hovers? How do you do media queries easily? So there's trade-offs on both sides. And this guy was just uh, experiencing his problem. My recommendation is to use a library called Aphrodite. It doesn't make like uh, inline styles. It's not inline styles or anything. It just uh, has a function that takes your style object and appends it to the style tag in the head. And it's really flexible. And you can actually extend it very well. So Aphrodite, it's made by the people at Khan Academy. It's a great product. I, I would use it um, in, in any project that I have with the app. Yeah, I don't do a lot of styling, so I don't know if I have a lot to add here. <laughs> I try to avoid that when I can. Yeah, I mean, for good reason, you know. Like, I hate CSS. Um, I've always hated it. I just have always had to do it, you know. And Honestly, like, this is the biggest pro mobile app argument I usually see is like CSS is terrible and like testing design across all the different supported browsers is tough Mm -hmm. to get right. And like, even when you do think you have it all right, it turns out there's a bug, you fix it for one, it breaks another. Like that's usually the argument you see in regards to like why mobile is better. I don't know. I CSS modules are interesting to me. This 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 smells like we need a Space Dojo show. Uh, I think we should definitely get Ramsey on, and maybe maybe we can invite Jimmy on. I don't know someone yeah. someone anti CSS module. <laughs> oh, just go on Twitter. You'll find them. Cool. Well, I want to say thank you for listening, everyone. That's the end of today's show. We won't have a show, I guess, this week, technically, because yeah. um, I'll be out of town on Friday. I'm going to be in Dallas. So if you're a listener and you hear this and you're in Dallas, let me know. We'll hang out. I appreciate everyone listening. And like, we only grow. like We don't do any advertising. We only grow through people sharing the show. So yep. if you watch it on YouTube, give it a thumbs up. If you you know, see it on uh, Twitter, give us a retweet, give us a tweet. If not, you know, like we appreciate that kind of stuff and like appreciate growing the audience and having new listeners. So definitely. 
super awesome and helpful and big thanks to digital ocean i think this is the last show they're sponsoring and to modulus as well for being sponsors super helpful check those guys out digitalocean.com if you use the code creator 10 they use that to determine if our ads effective so if you're going to sign up use the code creator 10 i think you get a discount too if you use it and uh we don't have a discount code for modulus but modulus.io so I guess I'll see you in two weeks, Abby. See you, man. Have a great time. And I'll see everyone else later. This has been a Space Dojo production. You can find out more information about Space Dojo at spacedojo.com. It's easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. That's S-P-A-C-E-D-O-J-O dot com.